Hands above the sheets. <laughs> Leave room for Jesus. Take it off. Hey there, welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. <laughs> Where are we not? Coming at you from the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. I wanted to do the uh, Law and Order intro, but like it... No, I thought that was in a Degada Vida. What? <laughs> no, that's what... I. You know what the your pants? You got a hole in your pants. You're missing different <laughs> kinds of songs. Pants, what the fuck chats. is going on over there? <laughs> is that Law and Order? <laughs> yeah, it's Law and Order. It sounded more like Law and Hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. Horses, Law and Horses Doovers. So, um, <laughs> now listen. So, thank you, Nock. You're welcome. No, so, uh, who do we have in the house this evening? Who, who, who? Um, and I'll do this. So, obviously, this is Miss Emma. Hello, darlings. Hello. Um, hello. Um, it's quite a lean house tonight. It yeah. really is. So, there's myself, of course, and um, sitting on my left, looking Devolutionally handsome. <laughs> it's Bagel. Mm, smashing, darling. Yeah, simply yeah. smashing. You look absolutely marvelous, darling. Yeah. And on the pretty girl couch. I got it all to myself. All to yourself. I showered today. Nobody wants to sit next to me. That's fucked up, man. You know what? You, you smell you... amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Wow. Just wow. You you do look quite expansive on that couch. I am man-spreading like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get in on this. is really good. Well, of course, <laughs> if you don't know by now, it's Nock. Hey, how you guys doing? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and last, by certainly no means least. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it's Sarah. <laughs> Hello, love. Hello, darling. You come you, in you for a spot until you meet the missus. Yes, that's right. No, you're they, you're a trooper because like we showed up. There's hardly anybody here, but you stuck it out till the end to this shit show. Yeah, well, wow. because it's Good fun. You. It's, it's fun, and you know what, Sarah? You're just beginning your motorcycling journey, aren't you? I mean, you're you're still trying to get in get into your head what kind of bike you want. Yeah. Um, and that in itself is kind of like a fluid thing. We talked a little bit about supermotos today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and two weeks ago it was Nighthawks. Right, and, you know, <laughs> cafe racer style. But, you know, you'll see something and you'll be yeah. like, that's the bike for me. And yeah. for, for the meanwhile, you're getting experience on that uh, little electric scooter. Yeah. I'm not my turns are getting better. Like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. You know, I'm not entirely sure how valid an experience <laughs> that thing is. It's, it's two wheels, you're moving forward, it's, it's, and he's got a twist, you, and he's got brakes. You get it. No, honestly, like when I was riding with... Brandon today. Yes, it helped. It uh, it helped me like no, like understanding weight distribution and things like that. So yeah, you you were actually you were actually um very lucky today because you went out on the back of an Energica. Mm-hmm. Energica. Um, right. You got to see with your hands too. Obviously. Exactly. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to take off so quickly. They are. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, they, are. they are rather quick, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, I almost slipped to the first time. You know. Like, <laughs> I mean, the ver- seriously, the verdict's out for me still. I, I very much respect the engineering, and I love yeah. the performance of them. 
but you know bikes have been such a, a visceral experience for me and so much of part of my life and i mean i'm used to the things vibrating and making all yeah. kinds of ungodly rackets underneath so me. uh sarah mm. would you say that's the largest appliance you had between your legs electronic like that is for a project. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was, no, that was I did a horrible miss the question. Feeling. Did you just actually... <laughs> I will just say I missed the feeling of a motor between my legs. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Not an actual... That was being really inappropriate. <laughs> that is... Ex- you know, I cannot believe you actually <laughs> said that out loud. I mean, it's... Oh, right. uh, wow. Somebody's got to do it. So, anyway... Get out of the way. Um, and that's it. Um, if you have been following our plucky little podcast you will know that at the moment mm-hmm. liza aka fearless, aka fearless leader yeah is away doing marsha miller yes um <laughs> and um i think she's currently in ohio well wow. was up until yesterday they were in uh, pickerington yeah um they got braving rain. the rain yeah yep. it was absolutely pissing down oh jeez. um so uh uh Haley actually uh provided some video of her on the indian and yeah. fair dues to <laughs> indian amazing. you know they supplied four brand new chiefs yeah specifically for Werwa. i don't think they can keep them afterwards though i think they're kind of yeah. just like here you go you that's must give hel- them back yeah that's a hell of a hookup man but that's, that's a great sweet. hookup and you know it, indian are proving themselves to be a pretty straight up company so yeah. um but yeah they're braving rain of course the big news for us is they will be in uh san francisco on the night of the fourth so that's what tuesday wednesday or something no friday friday no next friday okay next friday the fourth okay um and there's going to be a big party at the motor guild on treasure island and i encourage everyone in the area to come and hang out and party with us because i'm going to be there yeah show up hang out say hi exactly Um, and cheer the uh the plucky band on and then indeed um I've actually signed up to ride as a guardian for the bell, so I will be riding from San Francisco all the way to Smelly um, on the fifth. Yeah, oh god, I can't do it on the good. The Guzzi simply doesn't have the uh, gas range hmm. because yeah. it's a hundred miles between stops, and I've got that stupid little two and a half gallon tank on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. My effective range on that bike's about 85, 90 miles tops. Okay. Yeah. So like, okay. everyone would be waiting for me. Um, so I'll take. Yeah, you don't want to be that person. Yeah, I'll take the RF nine hundred, and then Liza can laugh at me crouching over it all the time again. I feel like that RF nine hundred would be a lot more comfortable too in terms of vibration. It actually, yeah. It, it aside from the fact that it's kind of sport bikey, which doesn't oh, yeah. bother me after a bit. It's so smooth and it's just so freaking capable. I love it. Rad. So um, the basic plan: we're leaving San Francisco pretty early in the morning. I haven't even looked at the itinerary. And there yeah. stops about every hundred miles for gas, and then we will be stopping um, for lunch just right off of Highway One. We're taking Highway One all the way. Oh no, shit! That's going to be a dope ride. It is going to be a hell of a ride, but a long ride. Yeah. How many people? Sixty-three have signed up. Damn, dude. Um, That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. I'm just going to break them up and then, like, you know, and. Well, I'm guessing, because, I mean, sweeps. if we're all stopping for gas at the same time and we're all going to be clamoring for gas, knowing that the next gas stops 100 miles, well, I mean, it's going to take a while to gas up 63 bikes, even at a big gas station. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we'll figure something out. I think I think we'll be broken up into groups with capable people at the head yeah. of each group, maybe 10 groups. But it's a rally style, right? You just meet at one point. And yeah, exactly. Start. And then we'll meet for lunch. And uh, you know who's going to be there is Matt from Law Tigers. Oh. Rawr. Well then. 
and uh, he's driving the chase van. <laughs> nice. And so um, I think um, that's that's going to be really good. I I hope we don't need it as a van van, but right, it, it's right. going to be nice to have somebody around that if you just want to somewhere quiet to sit down during one of the stops for a few minutes mm, yeah gather your gather yourself together gather yourself um so that's liza and she's away for three weeks so this is week one mm-hmm. and so we have to come up with a meaningful show and not alienate all our <laughs> listeners <laughs> meaningful yeah well Air quotes no well we can do some cool exactly you'll do some cool so you got some cool going on yeah so what did we do today you know what uh i showed up yeah <laughs> i pulled up <laughs> at the stoplight and i see you texting <laughs> i wanted to- i was not <laughs> texting yeah the biggest grin you're looking at cat pictures i know it <laughs> okay i was looking at cat pictures but that is not texting <laughs> and that is legal on a red light i might okay add. all right mm. and so i don't her, think it is this, okay. not, not no more so yeah, this, right. this filthy green motorcycle pulled up yeah. next to me and it was you yeah i wanted to bang on your window and give you a good scare but i was like well what if she hits accelerator or something yeah exactly <laughs> your fingers off right um however i uh, as the light was changing i did reach across and turn off your kill switch didn't i you did <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking like i was thinking back when i was this month we're gonna hit my kill switch and like and sure enough you did but here's where you went wrong you gotta hit that when the light turns green i know i was a little <laughs> premature yeah no that was good though you know because it, it's usually guys who are premature but this i was true. in this case and um but it had the design effect it made you it upset you a little, a little bit. bit i was like she got me oh she got me so that means it's on and the next one is uh i get to turn yours off yeah right exactly you, know you can reach through and yeah exactly Perfect. so next time i pull alongside you and i'm on my bike you know <laughs> i don't think we're quite at the stage where you turn off with the keys and throw the keys right. that would be a total I, dick move i have seen that done before oh, and it geez. always ends the same way yeah right yeah um so we arrived pretty early and it has been a really quiet day today dude like only one two three people showed up like mm. like one actual person showed up to do work right right uh, uh, which people. is frank yeah well there's frank and there was um ramon ramon yeah ramon right. yeah um so uh ramon um we switched out um the rear brake pedal on his ktm okay and he's got these really, really nice um, engine case guards. Yeah. And they're kind of like a molded, very high-impact plastic. Mm-hmm. And he was grumbling that they didn't fit correctly. But that was because Bagel had selected the wrong spot well, for the what? Actually, yeah. actually, ah! actually, I selected the right spot first. And he said, it doesn't look like this fits. I'm like, well, well, I don't know. Maybe they go on the other side. And he tried it and then had all kinds of problems getting that to, to work. But mm. Then found out, yeah, those washers do go on the outside after all. Okay. So I was right in the first place. So he replaced the brake lever because it was bent or something? Because no, it, wh- just, it, it was just an upgrade for, you know, they, you know, manufacturers cut costs when yeah. they build bikes. I mean, sure. we all know that. And they, they choose the most peculiar places to cut costs. And in the case of KTM, it's got this really hokey kind of die cast Really? I mean, because it's like... Shit rear brake pedal. And, you know... If, if the, you wanted to lift the bike by the brake pedal, that I think it looks like that new brake pedal can do it. That, it's, that's a beefy looking... It's all pure billet. It was like yeah. the entire yes. thing was billet. Yes. No, it was. With, like, titanium spikes in it or something. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. They're very gripping in yeah. the bottom of your shoe, mm. which is the idea. So, I mean, if the things hold 
caked with alluvial deposits, you can still you're not going to slip off it. Yeah, um, is very 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 nice piece of kit, and English design, I might add. Mm. It looked expensive. I'm sure it was. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, that was Ramond. Yeah. And um, oh, a gentleman came earlier today wanting to know about riding motorcycles. I don't know, I know who it was oh, that Jimmy. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yeah, a guy I met recently and invited cool. him over to the garage. Yeah. And so, like, he wanted to go and test ride. He wanted to take the MSF and he couldn't get into a class. But eventually, I think apparently he found one later in October. Uh, yeah, one in San Jose. I think. San Jose. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he wanted to get on a bike, and we're sitting here talking about what kind of bikes we should ride, and. We're like, hey, why don't you get on that little fucking electric scooter and uh, figure it out for a little bit? Yeah. And, and we just left him to it. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, he seemed to enjoy himself. Yeah, he did. I said, don't point at any walls and uh, <laughs> yeah. don't point at any parked cars and sign this disclaimer in case right. you hurt yourself <laughs> quite badly. You're giving him some decent advice, too. You're like, look ahead. Don't look at the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Turn your shoulders. But you see, this is the whole thing about misfits that some people still don't get. You come down, you learn what you've got to learn, but once you've done a task once, and it doesn't matter whether it's riding a bike, riding an electric scooter, mm-hmm. adjusting a chain, adjusting a brakes, once you've done a task once, you are now qualified to teach somebody who hasn't done it at all. Sure. And that's the way it works. That's how we pass on the knowledge. Um, and. You stepped up to the plate and you showed Jimmy how to operate the thing, and he was actually having quite a good time. Yeah. He started off and he was pretty choppy on it. But <laughs> Why does everyone look afraid to have a good time on that thing? <laughs> well, it's a of- guilty pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's this weird, ridiculous look. Look, you look at it, you're like, "What is this?" And I feel like I'm going to break on it if I sit on it, you know. But then well, you get or- on it and they twist it, and you're like, "Oh shit, I could really get going on this." Yeah. Right, and I think part of it's too, you know, I could launch myself into a wall. I really mm-hmm. don't want to do that. Yeah, you know, it's an odd thing because. It, I mean, basically, it's a toy. Yeah. But there's this veneer of death about it. <laughs> if you do something wrong, you, yeah. I could hurt myself quite badly on yeah. that thing, and I think everybody knows that. It, it's a very torky toy, too. <laughs> well, I mean, you can fall and hit your head the perfect way. Oh, yeah. Kill hey, man, you, you can drown in two inches of water, man. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it is fun. Um, and, yeah, he got going on that, and I think, I mean, the bug has firmly bitten. Yeah. But, you know, it says something about um, motorcycling in general that a local course and in the case of Santa Cruz all the training courses are um, organised by Cabrillo College mm-hmm. here in town mm-hmm. they are fully booked for the remainder of the year yeah popular no, already because I was just on there like last week and there was almost all in October were open still oh really yeah hmm. and Ma- there's even one one day class on a Saturday um, I think it's on the last weekend of October hmm. I wonder if hmm. he was reading it wrong because oh, he maybe. but anyway hmm. um yeah, sometimes Santa. they fill up super quick, and the next thing you know, they're not, you know, kind of... Yeah, they're gone, and then yeah. you're, you're out. But San Jose's a good bet. Yeah. And, you know, if you're at one of the bigger classes where there are more people, I often think it's actually quite an advantage because peer pressure kind of... You want to do well because, you know, you don't want to look a complete 
doofus in front of the rest of the class. Don't worry, you will. (laughs) And then somebody else does it, and you think, oh, okay, well, that wasn't me at least. And then you help them, and then they help you, and it's everybody's kind of lifting each other up, which is kind of nice. Yeah, that's a cool experience. I remember doing it when, uh, like, actually, in late during the uh, year, and it was raining. I was in Cabrillo. Right. Mm. Like, two days on the range, it was raining, but I thought it was a great experience because I learned how to ride a motorcycle in Mm -hmm. in the rain. Yeah. So, yeah, that was pretty neat. So, um, riding electric bike, Ramon fixing his KTM. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a, a bit of a bad experience with some headlights. Yeah, I, I smashed a headlight when I was at the track, and I had these spare. Uh, Your LED bike is ones. winking. It's winking, <laughs> and I, what it did was better than of, wanking, darling. Yeah, <laughs> instead of actually replacing one of the broken headlights, I just installed a running light in there. So one it, one of it is dim, and I put like a you know the little cafe Reese X on it, so it looks kind of fruity, <laughs> whatever. But and, I and, like it. No, uh, hey, all right, maybe I'll keep it's it. Tough man, that changes the game. Gangster. But uh, I I thought about installing a, a couple of LED headlights in there, but the headlight bucket uh, on the existing uh, the existing uh, the existing headlight bucket doesn't fit the LED lamps a because too of shallow. the. Yeah, they're a little too shallow, and the the lamps have large cooling fins. Mm. And so halfway through, I just kind of abandoned it, and then I, I was thinking maybe I'll just re re figure this out later. But uh, it's not a dire thing. I have working headlights, so and I'm still trying to figure out whether I wanted it to be double headlights or, or oh, excuse me, or a single headlight. <laughs> you know, enjoying that bear knock. I, I am very much so. <laughs> what are you drinking? Let me see that. This is a Estrella Jalisco. Oh, very nice. It's it's all right. Okay. <laughs> That's quite a large candle. It's a tall boy. It's a tall boy, and it's obviously quite gassy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, no, I just abandoned my headlight project because uh, I just didn't want to deal with it. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, a quitter. <laughs> yes. Um and I did a very, very small project. I came down with a um, front fender off the turbo bike because mm-hmm. I'm so frigging determined yes. to get this thing finished. And so I'm kind of crossing off all the things oh. I need to wait, do. What's your I, deadline I on this? I can't wait. Oh, yourself. God, I don't frigging know. No deadline. Um, no. Forever project. You know, I really, in my head, the timeline for it, I would like to debut it at the one show which is february the reality is i don't think i can and if that doesn't happen there's the quail but that's buku bucks to get in yeah based on the one man i'd like to do it it. for the one but i really don't think i can if i can't i'll do it for um monterey peninsula classic which is on september 30th next year so i've got a full year and then just okay. start doing the rounds with it then um Whoa. but shit i don't know i really don't know the thing is i look, sometimes i look at it and i think oh this is close and then i look at it again and i think i've got so far to go yeah um do you need like welding fabrication at all or no the no? fabrication's mostly finished but okay the, the the finishes are all over the place and mm. I'm being very, very anal about finishes. I only want three finishes on the bike. Mm. So Chrome everything, and paint and what? Basically, black, aluminum, and chrome. That's oh. it. Nice. It's gonna be the Darth Vader bike. Huh? No, because it's it. There's a, quite a lot of chrome on this thing. Okay, it's it's quite bright, but okay. um, I don't want it to be all chrome. 
because you know that's kind of hokey and mm. showy and we did that a lot in the 70s you got, and you it, got this thing where you like you want to build a bike like that factory would have built right that's that's, that's, that's kind of my shtick yeah i like and, that too i like that approach and you know my dear friend mike mike mccarthy who's kind of alongside me and jing me up through the build wants me to paint it some really really goofy color because he mm-hmm. said you know when you're done with it people aren't going to realize how custom that thing is mm. without knowing he said somebody somebody will pull up on a gold wing and they'll know just how because everything is custom on it right absolutely yeah. everything but i want it to look so congruous um and I've done goofy things like it's got 17 inch radials front and rear, mm-hmm. but I'm running on chrome spoke rims. There, mm. Yeah. Nobody right. does that. Right. Yeah. You know, nobody's doing that, but it's in keeping with the bike. Right. Those are like my favorite kinds of builds where if you're an enthusiast and you know it, it's, it's a, you know, you know, it's obviously different. And the, the, the stylistic changes are somebody who's done, made by somebody who's maybe like uh, an enthusiast themselves, I guess. Right. So, yeah. You know, and it, it, it's, it's, it's a Goldwing. And, I yeah. mean, it's an early Goldwing, and they don't get that much respect. Right. And I want to kind of do it right. Yeah. And I still may do it in stock paint, even though it's a custom bike. I kind of like it. It came in this kind of Antares red color, which is mm. sort of a ruby red. Ooh, what, what colors nice. uh, did they come with that year? Um, there was turquoise. Which is, a, is okay. Ooh, Turquoise no. with like l- um, like baby blue and gold pinstripes. Hmm. And then you had the Antares red, which had like um, orange and red and gold pinstripes. Mm-hmm. And then sulfur yellow, which I never liked, which mm. is like custard yellow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which well, kind looks- of black and blue pinstripes. So it's just finishing, finish, uh, finishing work. Kind mostly. of. I've got to wire it though. I've got no wiring on it at all. And real estate is a real problem on that bike. Think about getting that little box that Mike has, the lamb box, spend the 300 bucks and just make it a little bit easier on yourself. Yeah, you know, I might. Yeah? I might. Simply, I might have to. Mm, Um, I still don't know where I'm going to put the fuel tank. I've got no... (laughs) Where the hell am I going to put the fuel tank? I might have to pull it behind me on the trailer. (laughs) So, like, you could actually just make a fuel cell, right? Does that thing come with covers, like a fuel tank cover? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm running a shelter on it. Uh, Okay, right. So, yeah, I'm going to run the top shelter on it. So you Um, could just potentially fab up or just buy an existing fuel cell that kind of fits in there? I'll probably make one. It won't be very big. Yeah. But the bike's not going to be that kind of bike. Right. Yeah. Um... Mind you, knowing my luck, is I'll finish it and it'll be so nice to ride, I'll want to ride it everywhere. And it'll have like one gallon of fuel. And it'll do like 10 to the gallon because right. the turbo just... Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's close, but it's a long way away. Well, it sounds like a good problem to have. Yeah, it's not bad. And my other bikes are where they need to be. So I'm happy about that. So yeah. tra-la-la. Cool. So, and... Yes. We also did some other uh, repair work at the garage today. You did. Oh, dude. <laughs> you oh, did. Good, no, man. Liza's going to be pissed. Oh, <laughs> she's going to be so mad at me. Well, <laughs> so what happened was Liza was crowing a few weeks ago because she was down at the Goodwill shop and she found this Hot Wheels slot car racing track mm-hmm. the, with four cars. All cars there. That she paid, I think, 12 bucks for. Yep. Oh. And. So I thought, you know what? It's a quiet day. The sun's out. Let's assemble the track. 
and I found out she paid $11.90 too much for it. (laughs) (laughs) And why was that? Yeah. Nothing worked. Oh. Nothing worked. So it sort of worked. It It made noises. It made made noises. It worked the best. Exactly. It didn't work the best. So we, um, in true miskeeping, misfit fashion, we decided to get a voltmeter on it and found out that we thought the voltage was low. So I, <laughs> I hooked up a battery to it and battery a uh, battery tender, mm-hmm. which got the voltage up from like seven to twelve, thirteen, <laughs> and things moved along a bit, but it, it still wasn't right. Right, and and, yeah. and you can hear the motor spinning while the car is not moving. So that indicates a transmission problem. Yes, and then um, <laughs> indeed there was. There was indeed a transmission problem. Every at car- which point. I'd lost patience, yes. but Bagel, this is when Bagel, it was your chance to shine. Yes, I said, these these are knowable things. We have tools to fix them. No. And I uh, went in there, found out that the pinion gear on every every motor had cracked. And because it was not uh, snug on the shaft anymore, it was just spinning. So uh, a little bit of epoxy. And knock, you actually did the first one with some crazy glue. Yeah. And yeah. that held. And I did the others with epoxy and uh, got them all up and running, cleaned everything up. And uh, we now have four racing cars. Minus one front left wheel. Yeah, yeah. But that's okay. Well, right. Details. Yeah. yeah, minor details. But it works great. Yeah. It does actually work great. Yeah. And we uh, we were able to dispense with the hokey battery battery tender setup <laughs> yes. and go back to the original <laughs> controllers. Yep. And uh, uh, no, we had so a lot funny. of fun with it. Yeah, it worked well. So, um, motorcycles and misfits playing with slot cars. Yeah. Nothing wrong <laughs> there. No. Yep. It was a pain in the dick getting all back together there, or put, taking it apart, putting it in the box. Yeah, there's a lot of pieces. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was fun. You know, brought back memories. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they never worked that well when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, I was like, this is way better than I remember it. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> well, the thing that generally you're lacking when you're a kid is patience. So getting yeah. the track set up properly yeah. in the first place. Because I remember you'd have, you'd have to set up the track and then you'd have to get the Scotch Bride on the rails mm. and make sure everything's clean mm. so it makes yeah, a good yeah. contact. Nobody could be bothered to do no. that. I just yeah. want to play now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> want yeah. to now before the cartoons come on and, right, exactly. you know, the thing blow up and then of course what i used to do was i used to hold the cars down and rev them up and you get that nice smell <laughs> nice lunch yes that nice sort of yeah. mm, uh, burning the, electrical smell the ozone yeah. being produced by the motor smell <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> which is always good fun we didn't get that today no um no. so yeah it good yeah it was it was it wasn't actually a bad way to spend an afternoon we yeah. certainly know how to entertain ourselves that's, that's true. well if that's nothing sure. else yeah we entertain ourselves otherwise it was a very very quiet day at misfit mm-hmm. um i was hoping some more people would show up but yeah me too but um sometimes it's like that liza said like some days it's just her and maybe like one other person shows up and that's yeah. it but. right exactly and john um with the harley came down that's right and, yeah yeah oh. he came down briefly just to visit and he's 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 going the distance he bought a dr350 from liza and the engine promptly blew up mm. so um um, he's doing a deal with Jim, and he's going to build one good engine out of two. Oh yeah, okay, that's right. DR three fifty engines, because right. uh, yeah, Jim fried the bottom end on his, mm. but the, for some reason the top end stayed largely intact. Okay, and then uh, his has got a toasted cylinder head, so I think the idea with the gasket set is amalgamate both engines into uh, into one. Yep, but you work. know that's that's set up on the DRs, hokey. It really is. Yeah, a little bit. You know, it's got this this 
fixed external oil line around the cylinder head and it is the easiest thing in the world to put that bolt in crooked and i think yeah. that's what happened to, yeah. hit to john yeah and it's a big bolt so you're using a 17 millimeter wrench or a 17 millimeter socket and i think he didn't realize it was going in crooked yeah and rather than so, tear out the thread, it just cracks. Were the top yeah. ends of those bikes, do they come in different displacements, that particular motor? Because I'm thinking, like, why not internal oil lines? And so, because it's because they wanted to use different size heads or something? Or Yeah, I mean... It's, That's it, interesting. It, it's That's a, an interesting design choice. It is an interesting design choice. You know, Suzuki have um, a habit of doing this, of doing, like, standalone stuff, which we'll find mm-hmm. out a bit more about later mm. in the show. Um, but it's really a standalone model. You could, I mean, you can argue, you can say, well, it's what's it got in common with a GZ250 Cruiser? And the answer is a little, mm-hmm. but not much. And then you can really trace its origins back, I suppose, to the GN125s of the early 80s, and then it became the mm. 200 and the 250 and the 350. GN, but really, uh, you know, it's... the it's a standalone model yeah and of yeah. course the dr 400 is completely different in itself i mean yeah. it's water cooled for a start yeah um but it still carries like the 350 it still carries its oil in the down tube is it a world bike it's one of the ones that you yes can get oh yeah oh yeah dr 350s okay. you can get all over the world Yeah, except for the states huh apparently you can't there's just not plenty of those around in the dr states. 350s yeah the one that that uh, yeah the one that yeah yeah hmm there's tons of them knock well but why is he having such trouble finding a new fucking top end for his bike because they all fry the top ends. oh i see hmm interesting you know which is what makes jim such an anomaly yeah um no they were quite a common bike i mean they were never um the kickstart one the first model year which i think was 91 92 we'd won a couple of accolades for being the worst starting bike (laughs) ever (laughs) and they are an absolute shit to start yeah um you need to know the technique exactly. The magic dance. Um, and, of course, the Traveller rides one, and oh, she absolutely like, loves it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, okay, and she's got rare. the technique just so for starting that bike. Yeah. But generally, you, for the for the average mortal, you can jump up and down on that kickstart as much as you want. The thing isn't going to bloody go. Yeah. Um, but the electric star ones, they became quite popular, you know, because they're, they're a very capable bike. Sure. Um you know it's a lightweight bike it makes really really good power yeah um a lot more agile than the 400 Mm -hmm. um it's just a nice air cool bike but it's got one or two hokey things about it and that damn oil line is one of them yeah and um yeah i think john probably stripped it himself but that's okay we'll get him straightened out you know but the casing's cracked and you know you can put as many helicoils in there as you want it ain't gonna uncrack it yeah yeah well, that's a bummer. Well, hopefully it'll get all sorted out soon enough. Right, very good. Um, and I was trying to think if anything interesting happened at work this week. Um, because, for, again, people who've been following my saga, um, Monterey Peninsula Power Sports closed, closed down. I was ceremoniously lost my job. Mm. Um, they've since reopened, but um, I'm yeah. not back there. Um, I did commercial driving again for a little while, but decided that is not the work place for me so now i'm a seaside super you made it to director of transport whatever yes but you decided it still wasn't just not worth it and no i mean you know because at the at at heart i'm a wrench 
You know, yeah. s- simple as that. You're a and masochist. That's what you are. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so I'm back at Seaside Superbikes, and it's it's kind of like I'm I'm revisiting my roots because yeah. it's not a big flashy dealership. It's a small independent shop. Um, with it, we're actually the closest shop to Laguna Seca. So we do a lot of race stuff. We build oh, a lot of race engines. That's cool. Um, and Mike, who's the owner, um, has got quite a race history with uh, Kegwins. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Kegwins is closed down now, but yeah. um, he was Carter one of the, the track now, yeah. yeah, he was one of the instructors for Kegwins for a long time. Oh, He's got his own race history. So I'm doing everything. I'm building race engines. I'm working on Harleys. How about that? <laughs> um, Fabulous. Yes. Scooters, mopeds, the humblest thing. And I, as I said to him, I said, look, you know, we're a small business. Everything that comes through the door within reason, let's have a go at fixing it. Yeah. You know? Cool. And it's, it, it, like, it's, it's going back to my roots. This is how I really started off at a very, very small dealership and worked my way up. And it looks like this is how I'll round out my career. So I'm, I'm very happy. Um, Good on you. Yeah. Nice. Um, but the, um, there are a lot of common denominators that come in, and it's mostly carburetor work, and it's mostly bikes that have been sitting. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. okay. So, if you have a bike in your garage that you are riding currently and you think, yeah, I might put this away for the winter time, yeah, drain the carburetors now. Drain the and carbs. Might as well drain the tank too, right? Yeah. Or well, yeah. Stabilizer or, in there. Yeah, no. exactly. And I mean, stabilizer, it won't, you know, make the gasoline pop off in the spring, but at least it'll stop it turning into that icky, gooey mess. Indeed. Um, but yeah, drain the carbs. Because it's expensive. I mean, the fact yeah. is, if you've got, say, a four-cylinder bike and your carbs plug up because you left the fuel in for the winter and you just take it for a dealer sh- to a dealership to get them unplugged, you're going to be about five or 600 bucks poorer. Yeah. By the time you've put the kits in and paid the labor and probably had a Petcock rebuild and just got all that yucky fuel out. And it's yeah. a lot to pay for... You know, just, oh, I forgot to take the fuel out of my car. Yeah, especially for, like, a mid-2000s where they're still kind of carbureted, but they're still, like, inline four racing-type bikes where everything's buried underneath the tank. Yep. So you got to pull all that shit off and, oh. Man. Oh, absolutely. Like pain in the ass. You know, Gen 1 R1s, mm-hmm. my RF900, mm-hmm. Gen 1 R6s, all these are carbureted bikes, you know? And they they... I love big, fast carbureted bikes. There's, it's kind of like the whole thing when you're listening to a record compared to listening to a CD. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you've got all the detail with fuel injection and this sparkling throttle response. But there's just this warmth and creaminess with a with a carburetor. It's That's all, what I. It's noticed. lovely. Yeah. It really is lovely. The power delivery is just so linear, and this a well set up carbureted <coughs> bike is a lovely thing to ride. This is true. So, well, here we are. So what we've got to do is we've got to try and figure out how we're going to fill up this time with this this huge hole Mm. in the studio that is occupied normally by Liza. Well, you could just yammer for about an hour about some historical shit. What do you think? Would you like me to do a history hole? Can we we, we go into your hole? Well, (laughs) but you see, the point is, history holes aren't really for the general public. They're for our Patreon subscribers. Right. And they're special. Mm. So if I unleash a history hole, 
Am I betraying our Patreon subscribers or am I giving the listeners a, a, a an unusual treat? Uh, send all emails to <laughs> Emma Booten at whatever.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think let's do a history hole. Yeah. Fuck um, it, let's do it. It gives all the listeners a little little taste of what uh, what they could get if they subscribe on Patreon. Yeah. That's largely true. Yeah. That's largely Send true. Send us your money, bitches. So, um, <laughs> I actually had a little chat about this with Bagel earlier mm, on. Yeah. And in keeping, which is typical with me, I'm going to do something completely different. <laughs> but I am going to do that history hole maybe next week. But this oh, week we get well something then. different. Okay. So, oh. Um, Settle down, girl and, girls and boys. So we're doing a history hole, but not the history hole that you are thinking of doing earlier. Yes. Oh, got it. It's the history hole I'm thinking of doing now. Mm-hmm. And Indeed. Surprise. It's one of my favorites. Oh. In fact, this may be my favorite classic Japanese bike. Oh. Anybody ta- care to take a guess what it might be? I do have quite a history with them. Is it a Suzuki? Maybe. Is it a Katana? Maybe not. Is it a Bandit? Maybe not. Is it a Water Buffalo? Yes. <laughs> so. Well, <laughs> shit, here we go. Yes, yes, yes. Um, water Buffaloes. Yes. Kettles. Tea kettles. <laughs> Vasa Buffles. Water Pigs. They have more nicknames than anything else. But the fact of the matter is, it's correct name is a Suzuki GT 750 and um, it's got a very very nice little history we talked a a few weeks ago about Honda CB 750s and the CB 750 kind of got all the glory not least because it was the the first real mass production superbike even though as we discussed, Triumph and BSA beat them by a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that four cylinders that really got it. But Suzuki really came up with a nice model range as well. So um, we'll talk about it here. Yeah. So when the CB750 came out, it was September 1969. And all of the Japanese manufacturers really had their eye on larger bikes but depending on who they were depending on their definition of what a large bike was Honda of course decided that their large bike had to be a single overhead cam four cylinder four stroke bike and when you look back at Honda's racing pedigree that really doesn't come as a surprise we already discussed there was nothing really radical about the 750 Honda it's just they put it all together in this package Mm -hmm. that really somebody with a good job could afford it wasn't an exotic bike right Um, to Kawasaki it was two stroke it was a three three cylinder so the H1 was Kawasaki's answer to it, which was just an all-out performance machine. It was a five-cylinder... Uh, f- I'll get it out in a minute. It was a three-cylinder, two-stroke bike, Yes. five-speed transmission, electronic ignition, a lot of firsts for Kawasaki. Mm. Um, really almost 
bicycle quality chassis components though <laughs> i mean they really earned a reputation for being death machines oh, yeah they're called the widow maker they were called the widow maker yeah uh, not least because they were quick but the handling was yeah. just so appalling on them and treacherous at certain speeds from what and i treacherous understand. at all bloody speeds well, there you go. i mean there was a school of thought that the best way to go around corners on a kawasaki h1 was to stop the bike get off it push it around the corner get back on it and then accelerate away and you wow. would still be ahead of the person behind you because the thing was so quick <laughs> so that was kawasaki's idea of what a superbike should look like right yamaha had brought out the xs1 and the xs1 was an interesting bike it was really a japanese interpretation of a British bike, in which case the Bonneville. Mm. It was a 650 twin, it was a parallel twin. Um, one carburetor for each cylinder. Very traditional styling. When you see an XS1, you, you it looks like an English bike. Um, it's got a little more chrome on it than a Brit bike, but it's got a very British bike styling. Um, and that was their idea of what a superbike should look like. Mm. Suzuki, the biggest bike in their range, was a 500cc twin. And depending on the market, it, you could call it a Titan, you could call it a Cobra, but it was a 500cc two-cylinder two-stroke. Suzuki knew they were, they were kind of being left behind here. Hmm. Yamaha had the bigger bike, Honda had the bigger bike, Kawasaki had the same size bike, but it had one more cylinder, a lot more power. Mm. And there was talk that there was going to be a larger Kawasaki coming down coming down the line. So Suzuki knew they had to do something about it. Um, what they did was rather than just go down the performance route and say, look, we're going to make the biggest thing, they came out with a range of bikes. And they all had the same name, GT which stands for Grand Touring, or in the original Italian, a Gran Turismo. See, And the idea behind these bikes was they were going to be smooth, they were going to be quiet, relatively quiet, and big. Basically, the kind of bike that you can ride long distance very, very quick. So, if you remember our guest last week, Wendy... Yeah. When she won the Cannonball, it was on a Suzuki Touring bike. This is true. Much later, a GS850. But you ne should never underestimate the ability of a large, comfortable bike to go a long way very, very quickly. And Suzuki figured this out. So they came out with a range of, range of bikes. Um, the smaller ones were all two cylinders. But the ones we're going to concentrate on, and the one in particular, were three-cylinder bikes. The smallest of the three was the 380. And each bike had its own little individual qualities, but they were, they were basically... They were obviously related when you looked at them. The GT380 was an air-cooled three-cylinder bike, 371 cc's, the novel feature, which was pervasive on all the three-cylinder GTs, they all had four mufflers. Hmm. And from behind, they were very, very distinctive because the two outer pipes had their own muffler. Mm -hmm. But the inner pipe, the muffler split into two, That's into smaller pipes. That's so, bizarre. Yeah, so <laughs> when you looked at them from behind, you had two big mufflers on the top and two small ones on the bottom. Huh. And as goofy as it sounds, it was actually quite pleasing. Huh. So there was the 380... 
six-speed transmission. It was the only one of the range with a six-speed. The second one along was the GT550. And if you want to talk about the Cinderella of the range, mm. it was that one. It was 550cc, three-cylinder, stayed air-cooled. Hmm. Five-speed transmission, very similar styling to the GT380, but just a little bit longer and a little bit bigger in every dimension, but a very, very handsome bike. And then we come to the flagship, and it was the flagship of the range, the GT750. And what they did with the GT750, which made it so brilliant, they used a lot of existing technology. They took... The, basically the piston size from the T500 mm. the Titan they added a cylinder so instead of a 500 twin cylinder it now became a 753 cylinder mm. they were always concerned about the centre pot seizing up there had been a lot of talk from Kawasaki about centre pots overheating mm. yeah. on the on their Kawas- on on the H1 triple because right. of the lack of airflow to cool it exactly mm-hmm. and just the fact that it's flanked by hard working cylinders yeah. so if you it's think about thermal the efficiency or lack thereof right and and position behind the tire and position you know the problem's going to be exacerbated yep. mm. so for the smaller the air cool bikes Suzuki came up with this thing called a ram air system and it's basically a shroud that goes over the top of the engine mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. forces the air in and down onto the cylinder head it's a lot of people say it's fake it was definitely a styling cue but it it actually did work in a rudimentary way um but the gt750 was completely different it actually got water cooling and there had been many many water cool bikes before um famously a british manufacturer called scott whose model was called the flying squirrel there's Uh, a name for you yes (laughs) as early as the turn of the century had water cooling with a very very rudimentary system but it was a water cooled bike um there'd been various single cylinder two-stroke race bikes with water cooling but the suzuki was the really the first mainstream bike with water cooling Mm. and it became very much a feature and it was a reason for a lot of the nicknames for the bike Mm. hence the water buffalo the kettle and Mm. suzuki they decided that rather than hide the fact that it's water cooling that it's water cooled we're really going to make it shine and put this radiator on the front and made the radiator look even bigger by putting a crash bar around it Hmm. yeah i was trying to figure out like is that an aesthetic choice or a safety choice but i guess it was both huh they're like well we got if you think about it you'd have to go down pretty damn hard to wreck the radiator because it's high up there and it's kind of inboard a little bit exactly but suzuki really wanted to draw your attention to it Mm. Mm. so anyway this thing debuted at um, the Tokyo uh, uh, Motorcycle Show in October 1970, but it was a prototype. Um, the real the production started at the end of 1972, mm. Mm. and Suzuki always gave each model year a letter designation. So if you get the complete model name of the bike you know immediately what year it was made Mm. so for 1972 the complete designation was the suzuki gt 750 j 
J for John. And that indicates that it's a first-year model. Hmm. Now, these are some of my favorites of the bike because it's very, very undiluted styling. Um, yeah. GT750J had marvelously sculpted side panels, these weird turn signals, very, very weird tail light, Hmm. very very unusual Japanese inspired styling and this glorious drum brake on the front mm-hmm. and the brake on the front it was really a race inspired unit it was a twin leading shoe so it had lots of scoops and linkages but it appeared on both sides of the wheel so it actually had twin cables running down to it it's a marvelous looking thing and they're very very prized by collectors today if you want to build an authentic looking cafe racer you'd better have a suzuki gt 750j drum brake on the front because um, oh, yeah the later ones had uh the hydraulic ones yeah they had hydraulic twin discs and that actually appeared halfway through the model year because in truth mm. that brake was not great it required <laughs> yeah. very very careful setting up and all brakes suffer from the same problem and that's of excessive heat mm-hmm. And a drum brake, by its nature, because it's enclosed, they get really hot really, really quickly. So um, I had my GT750J in 1980, so I was still young and pretty stupid and rode it as such. And it was the most fantastic brake when it was cold. (laughs) but you could heat that brake up with one brake application Mm. so you'd be trucking along at about 80 90 and you'd see a police car on the hard shoulder so you'd haul on that front brake and it would promise you everything (laughs) you would think this is the best brake in the world and then suddenly the lever would just turn into mush (laughs) and it the lever would go straight back to the handlebar grip and your brake would be useless oh no yeah And they were notorious for that. And there was so much criticism at the time, Suzuki actually switched to twin discs halfway through production in the first model year. Wow. So the early Js had drums, Hmm. and then they went into twin discs. It's crazy how the feedback cycle happened that quickly back then. Right. We're halfway through the year. People are dying. Uh, I guess we better switch (laughs) to hydraulic brakes. Well, you know, if nothing else, the manufacturers... Generally, Japanese manufacturers are very, very keen to keep their customers happy. Yeah. yeah. And they are quite, especially in the American market, Mm -hmm. they've always been very, very receptive to feedback. And, of course, the feedback came back was, yeah, these brakes really aren't working very well. Um, So um, what are the other things to look for on the first-year model? Um, They came in some batshit crazy colors yeah. came in the most glorious fuchsia yeah. which was yeah, really was looking at that like a pearl metal pink. flake yeah, yeah. very very grainy metallic it's almost like pink pretty dope color it yeah. is a wild color and then a turquoise which was equally wild mm-hmm. yeah, it looks like there's um, also a sort of a gold color too i think i think not in america oh. in america they just came in those two colors now funnily hmm. enough the 550 came in a beautiful gold um for the first model year interesting enough the 550 shared the same front brake for year one also 1972 mm-hmm. the 380 also had a drum brake but that was just quite an ordinary twin leading shoe front brake it's the same you'd find on a honda or um kawasaki with the drum brake at the time yeah so that's year one year two 73 that's the k model 
Um, and the K model, we already discussed, it's now got twin hydraulic brakes and a little more chrome. Um, Suzuki changed the headlight ears to chrome. Not least, it's actually cheaper to do. Hmm. And I will tell you why. Bikes come down a production line. We all know this. Yeah. If the headlight ears and the headlight bucket of the bike are painted body colour, you need to make a decision pretty early on in the production process what colour that final bike's going to be. And if you offer a range of colours, you've got all kinds of decisions to make early in the production process. So what Suzuki did, as a cost-cutting exercise, the headlight bucket became black and the headlight ears became chrome. And so, basically, the bike can be assembled almost all the way to the end. Because it goes with everything. And then Mm -hmm. the colour goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, The K came in red, white, and blue. Came in the gold, you said, with green um, Mm -hmm. striping on it. Um, The exhaust system was very, very unique for the J and the K. There was four tubes coming out at the back. Four tubes coming out the back, and they had these nasty little aluminum black caps on the end. Very Mm. handsome. And, of course, they fell off almost immediately. Mm. So they're almost impossible to get now. Um, But, like, okay, so... There are four actual exhaust stingers. There are four actual exhaust stingers. One of them is connected to one of the cylinders, two of them are, or what? How did that work? The center cylinder Mm -hmm. branches into two. Ah. And that's why the two bottom ones are smaller than the top. Okay. But it was a very, very deliberate nod to the 750. Yeah. Honda. Because the Honda... Everyone said the same thing back in 1969. Yeah. When you came up behind a Honda 750 at the traffic light, you knew what it was because it had four giant mufflers. Mm-hmm. And so Suzuki wanted, oh, yes, we want a piece of that. So they <laughs> oh, put shit. four mufflers on a three-cylinder bike. Now, make no mistake. <laughs> That's sneaky. Yeah. These are wide engines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're big engines. It was a big, big bike. Um, few minor improvements. So what did he get? For you got a water cool bike. In retrospect, these these early models they were still a bit down on power compared with the later ones. They were still running at about sixty seven horsepower, which was marginally more than the Honda seven fifty was was making. Sixty seven horsepower. Sixty seven horsepower. That's like that's what a Suzuki SV six fifty makes. Nowadays. Yes, hmm. but it's a lot heavier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Big right. heavy bike. That's right. Um, and these were all four stroke, right? <coughs> What's that? These are all four-stroke? No, these are two-strokes. two-strokes, These are two-strokes. Quite talky for a two-stroke, actually. My abiding memory of them, um, and I still ride one from time to time, is they're very, very smooth. It's a rubber-mounted engine. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not as bad on gas as you'd think they are. Suzuki did a very, very good job of getting the roughness out of the bike. Mm. Um, If you ride an H1... Kawasaki, mm-hmm. it really beats you up. I oh, mean, yeah. the power band is absolutely razor thin. It is absolutely terrifying to ride. <laughs> Whereas Suzuki is actually a very, very similar civilized bike, even by modern standards. Um, so you got like 67 horsepower, very smooth. Um, handling, it's typical handling of the day. Mm. Um, the rear shocks are very, very stiff. The front end is very, very mushy. Hmm. Um, Fit and finish is not great. Um, they're yeah. very, very shiny and pretty when they're new, but most of the chrome fell off quite quickly. Mm. Um, so that was the first 
first two model years. Are these oil injection or are you yes. the premium? Oh, oh yeah. yes. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. And that was a Suzuki trademark very, very early on. Interesting. Um, Suzuki really pioneered the oil injection system, the fail-safe oil injection for the for two-stroke bikes, hmm. going way back to the Super 6 um, in the early 1960s. And they were very, very good at it by this time. So, 74, we got a... 74 was actually quite a change for the bikes. It got a completely different exhaust system. But interesting enough, it got CV carburetors. Mm. And people say, well, CV carburetors don't work on two strokes, but they do. And it actually made for quite a smooth power delivery. Mm. Um, and they got the power up a little more as well. I think they got it up another horsepower or two horsepower. Mm. Um, the thing Suzuki were always doing with this bike was dicking with the gearing. Mm. Um, the the model year ones were chronically undergeared. Mm. So you'd be howling going down the freeway. You'd be wow. like at 4,000 RPM at, at freeway speeds, and the thing would be howling underneath you because they only really revved to 6.5. Oh, wow. Um, and so they were always dropping the gearing. Mm. And so as, as the years went by, the rear sprockets got smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> and smaller. Um, so the GT750M was for 1974. The GT750L, oh, L was 74, right. M was 75, mm -hmm. and then 76 was... I would say probably the most popular, certainly in terms of number sold, that was the GT750A. Um, hmm. And that, a lot of people say that's the most, that's the, that's the most civilized of the bunch, and I would argue with that. Um, it was certainly one of the nicest looking. And then um, 1977 was the uh, B, and that was the last of the line. Hmm. Um, and the reason they stopped in 77 was just the EPA was starting to bite and yeah. everybody said two strokes yeah. are over. Yep. Um, in terms of riding, the Bs are actually the best. They got the gearing just right. They got the power delivery just right. It was about 74 horsepower by the time the Bs came out. Were, was the gearing change internal or are they like... Yeah, they, they actually changed it. Final output, whatever. Final output. And they, there was always a bit of a gap between first and second. Mm -hmm. Um Riding a seven GT750 is an interesting experience because you rev it out in first and you rev it up as much as you can, then you punch it into second and the revs just drop, drop yeah. because there is such a gap. And Suzuki wow. are always trying to get that gap out. Hmm. Um, but the Bs, they ch the cost engineers got a hold of it a little bit. So a lot of the chrome went away. The original design of turn signals went away. The original design of taillight went away. Mm -hmm. And it shared a lot of parts with its four-stroke sibling. Because for a little while in seven, in 77, you could buy a two-stroke 750 triple and a four-stroke 754 alongside one another. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Suzuki marketed them both. And to a very different rider as well. Yeah. Um, oh, interesting. As hard as it is to believe now, looking back on it, well, the GS750, which was the four-stroke four, was marketed as the sportier of the two. And the two-stroke triple was the traditional touring bike. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. A two-stroke touring, huh? Yeah, exactly. Huh. So it... it for, compared with the 750 Honda, the 750 Honda was 
the single overhead cam 750 honda mm. was 1969 to 1978 so that's a nine-year production run and everybody recognizes them now yeah mm. the gt 750 is real production run was 72 through 77 so it's mm. only a five-year production run um but i would argue that it's just as important a bike sure um and in fact it won an award um the society of automotive engineers in japan awarded it the, one of the most influential designs in motorcycling aesthetically or actually just as, a, as an engineering prospect oh interesting mm. yeah wow so it's an important bike and they are there's they're kind of overlooked in america still they're coming up now yeah and they're beginning to fetch good money now when i restored mine which was about 15 years ago i vividly remember everyone saying why the hell are you doing that mm-hmm people just couldn't understand it and when they saw the finished product they understood it perfectly yeah, yeah but in terms of historically it's very much in the shadow of the 750 honda in terms of performance it's very much in the shadow of the kawasaki tripled although in truth i read a 1974 road test of the kawasaki 750h2 versus the suzuki gt750 hmm. and not surprisingly the h21 hmm. but not by much yeah so you're was... talking about half a second over the quarter of a mile yeah wow. okay and in terms yeah. of top speed i think the kawasaki topped out at 128 and the suzuki was like 123 so hmm. was it ever billed as like the budget option is that, is that what it become no became? it's an no. expensive bike it was expensive for its time was oh it? yeah it was oh, expensive for its. it was quite an exotic bike for its time yeah um and I, I vividly remember, certainly in England, it was always very special when you saw one. Yeah, so it was more than the Honda and more than the uh, Kawasaki? Or was it kind of in the ballpark? Or it's kind of in bikes? the ballpark. You know, right. we, we've we gotten used to everybody tooling around on big bikes mm. now. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, everyone can afford a big bike now, give or take. Right. Certainly in the used market. But back then, these 750s were nowhere near as common as you think. And I see. The That's Suzuki was yeah. always a very, very exotic-looking thing. Right. It had that radiator. It always had a ton of chrome. Even the later, even the B ones, even when they started cutting back on the chrome, mm. there was still a lot of chrome on this thing. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very exotic-looking bike. But as an interesting side note, it really... In a lot of ways, it saved Suzuki because in the mid-70s, Suzuki knew the riding was on the wall for two strokes. They knew they were done. And they thought the way forward was with a rotary engine bike. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, oops. <laughs> yes, oops. So they came up with this thing, the RE5. And... To talk about the GT750 and not talk about the RE5 would be a little bit of a crime because there's all a part to play. Mm. Um, the RE5 was a terrible bike. Yeah. It was I, heavy. I it was overweight. It was ugly mm-hmm. as sin. Overly complex. It sucked fuel like it was going out of fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, chronically overheated. Mm. Um, again, there was a contemporary road test, I think, Cycle World. 
was doing a road test in Southern California on them and there were five bikes mm. and they're all sitting at the lights and all the journalists are looking over at each other's temperature gauges and every single one is pinned in the red. Oh, God. Mm. It was that kind of bike. Wow. Yeah. And it kind of soldiered on 74, 75, 76. Suzuki initially thought the poor sales were the fact that it was quite strangely styled. Mm. So they dialed back some of the styling, funnily enough, using GT750 parts, but mm. that didn't really help. Yeah. So by 76, Suzuki have realized, well, their savior isn't going to be the rotary bike. They've made some damn good two-strokes, and now they're scrambling. So what they did actually hmm. was brilliant. They said, okay, we're going to do an across-the-frame four. Um, we're going to make it better than the Honda, so we're going to put twin cams in it. But Suzuki knew an awful lot about two-stroke crankshafts. And as people probably know, two-strokes have roller-bearing cranks. Mm-hmm. Four strokes generally had shells. Mm-hmm. So what Suzuki did, which was absolutely brilliant, was they made the GS750 crank like a two-strokes. Really? Mm. So it had needle roller bearings. Hmm. It didn't need any oil pressure. It was very, very free. Hmm. Excuse me. <coughs> Aha. <laughs> it was it. very free spinning. Wow. And they came up with really one of the classic designs. Hmm. In 77, which was the GS750. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it yeah. just eclipsed the Honda 750's performance completely. And Honda never really caught up with that. Not with a single over it cam ones anyway. Right. It wasn't until the um, the twin cam CB750 900s that they caught up with the GS. So really, the legacy of the two-strokes carried on into the four-strokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the 550, the 750, and the 1,000 four-strokes were just mega bikes. They were wonderful bikes. And they all carried this two-stroke legacy with them in the crankshaft. Hmm. That's cool. So, yeah, it is cool. kind of cool. And, you know, 40 years later, 45 yeah. years later, if you, if you know anyone with a GT750 or you've never seen anyone or never seen one, check one out they're actually a lot cooler than you think um there's plenty out there if you go to any classic bike meet generally there'll be somebody who has one certainly our listeners in britain uh, and australia they are so loved in england it's it, consistently it is the number one classic bike yeah. and there's a reason for it there's something very very charming about them there really is a lot of memories of people wadding their shit on them, I guess. Oh, <laughs> God, yeah. I mean, it's... It, remember, yeah, as charming as they are, they have still got 1970s handling. Mm. Yeah. And especially with a rubber-mounted engine. So it's a, it's a bit like sitting on a big tub of jello going down the road. Yeah. But um, make no mistake, they, they are still a quick bike. Yeah. Um, most of them now end up with expansion chambers on them which really transforms the bike mm. um, and sharpens up the power power band to more like a Kawasaki triple. Mm. Um, a lot of the smooth power delivery was because of the carbs and the exhaust. But if you put decent exhaust on it, and certainly if you do some work on the carbs, you can wake them up a bit. Um, but just a charming bike. And w- one of my favorites. And I don't make any excuses for that at all. Yes. I, I think they're just wonderful. So Suzuki 
GT750. Yeah. Very nice. Go check one out. Check out a Craigslist ad and see if you could uh, maybe even buy one, huh? What do you think? Yeah, what do they I mean, go for these days on Craigslist. If you were, yeah, if you were the, thousands the, and thousands, they're all across the board. Yeah, um, different state of I, repair. I have seen them go as cheap as a thousand bucks. Holy shit! I've seen. Is that, is that in like a well? Now hang state? on. Like, what's a thousand dollars, right? In, like, just, in boxes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Ran when parked. <laughs> right. Ran when parked, and there is a dirty little secret, not just with. Um, Suzuki's, but with all old two-strokes, is the way a two-stroke works is it sucks in its fuel-air mixture and mm -hmm. it stuffs it down into the crankcase. And as the piston comes down, it pushes it up through the transfer ports up above the piston. And what it requires are crank seals to keep all this combustible mix right. in the bottom. Yep. Here we go. And the crank seals turn into goo. Yeah. Especially on bikes that have been standing. Mm -hmm. And so there's no real escape. If you buy a GT750 used, it doesn't matter whether it's had a show-winning restoration on it or it's a thousand-buck box, you're going to put crank seals in it. Yeah, because uh, even, even if the crank seals are still intact, if you put modern gas in it and run it, the ethanol is going to eat them up. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a fact of the matter is, if you haven't put crank seals in it now, you're going to. Yep. How much of a pain in the ass is it to replace them? It's, I mean, it's not bad if you know the engines. There are some foibles to it. Um, sure. The biggest pain on any GT750 is getting the cylinders off because the uh, water jacket runs around the studs. Oh. And when the Oh, really? Yes. Oh, shit. And uh. when the studs are new, they have this nice zinc coating on oh, them. Of course they do. But of course, <laughs> over the years, people don't change their coolant and yeah. it becomes acidic and corrosive oh. and it eats through the zinc. Oh. And now you've got bare steel. Yep. And on, the bare yeah. steel is the okay part. Yeah. But the aluminum yeah. starts getting crusty around it. And when aluminum starts corroding, it swells and it grips those studs mm. like hell. Jeez. Um and it's it's a real problem. Yeah. Um, I've thrown away engines because I couldn't get this couldn't oh. get the the cylinders off. Wow. And you can't get the crank out. Yeah. With yeah. it without yeah. pulling the cylinders. So it's other than that, it's quite an easy engine to work on for all its complexity. Hmm. And there's a lot of people who actually do the cranks for them. Um, most of my two-stroke cranks, I'll either do them myself or there's a place out in Minnesota that does them. Hmm. Um, and you just buy the seal, send them out the crank, and it comes back a week later. Hmm. And it's not an expensive job, but it's a specialist job. Yeah. When you've got a crank that's two feet long, you know, you, <laughs> you want to make sure that it gets done right. Yeah, definitely. But aside from that, there's no real surprises with them. Okay. Um, you know, they're, they're a good solid bike. But if you ever want to restore one cosmetically, it is expensive just because of the sheer volume of chrome. Mm -hmm. When I oh, restored yeah. mine, yeah. the chrome bill overshadowed everything else mm. not by a little by a lot yeah wow. um would you send your chrome stuff to you oh i've got i've got various places that okay. i use yeah, both yeah. here and in mexico mm. um depending on what i'm getting done you want the mexican chrome huh well you know they lay it thick there's no they lay, laws down there yeah they lay it on <laughs> nice and thick and they use those nice chemicals down si. there but yeah um <laughs> but just the the sheer volume of chrome on a lot of these old 
old bikes and chrome gets so scabby easily yeah and you can you can have the nicest restored bike in the world but if you've got scabby chrome you got scra- scabby chrome yeah you know, there's no way around it. Yeah, um, it. But the neatest thing is Suzuki are actually beginning to recognise these bikes as being import as being important, and they do the um, they do the heritage program, and you can actually buy new parts for them. Oh, Suzuki, really? Yeah. So they had a factory somewhere secretly where they stuffed all this shit and like. No, I think no, they're, no they're remanufacturing them. Oh goddamn! They've got which the is tooling am- for it. Which is amazing because hmm. if you understand the oh. Japanese manufacturing mindset. Generally, they really have to be prodded to look back. Yeah. They're almost—they're not interested in what they've done. They're interested in what they're going to be doing in ten years. Yeah. So, for them to actually look back and decide a bike is sufficiently important for them to start remanufacturing parts. That's but crazy. yeah, through the Suzuki Heritage Program, you can buy all kinds of good stuff, hmm. like chain guards and headlight buckets. And is that one of the only big four that does that does no i think no i think yeah i think they're all beginning to do it now interesting because it's big business yeah you know it's becoming it's as we age yeah our bikes are aging as well yeah yeah and you can either kind of ignore it or you can kind of embrace it and say well you know um let's start selling parts for bikes from the 70s and if you buy a genuine suzuki part you know you're getting a genuine Suzuki yeah. part quality. Yeah. I think they're realizing yeah. that the late boomers actually still have disposable income for the ones who want to buy motorcycle parts, Right, I exactly. Guess. Same with the car business. I mean, yeah. what's yeah. that company, Original Parts Group? They do all the parts for the Camaros mm-hmm. and the Cadillacs and everything. Mm-hmm. You can practically build a brand new 1970s car. <laughs> Johnny's Cash, Johnny Cash style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Does it come with a mullet kit? <laughs> if only. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that is an Emma's History Hall, and um, I hope you cool. all enjoyed it. I will do another one while Liza's away, yeah. um, just because. But uh, me and Liza, actually, and Naked Jim, too, we did a ton of these things. And generally, we only release them to Patreon subscribers. But it's nice to put them out there once in a while. For yeah, sure. You know. Um, so there you go. All right. And I will do uh, the one we discussed next time, Bagel. Indeed. So, um, yeah, we're... Um, we I, got, got, I got one email I could share. Yeah, okay. go and share it, because we've got another printed one. This one's called Motorcycles and Misfits at German DGR Ride. Fuck the hipsters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, this one's from uh, Zer Weissen. Uh He's a fellow uh, listener who written in before. This one uh, goes, uh, Hello, Misfits. Today was the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, and... This is a show I've always wanted to see for years. Um, so I, this ha- this came in today? I, I believe just like minutes ago. Oh, oh wow. wow. Okay. Yeah. This is hot off the press. Wow. <laughs> you heard it here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my little bike is an upcoming classic, uh, I'm sure, but the DGR does not like fully fared bikes. So I thought, fuck the hipsters, I'll just go. Uh, so I did not sneak a red dot. So not only did I sneak in a red dot in a sea of pod filters and matte black, I also snuck in a Motorcycles and Misfits t-shirt. Best regards, don't fuck knock unless he wants it. And greetings from Germany, Eric. Yeah, so... Thanks, Eric. Eric uh, brought himself... Oh, he's a very dapper-looking gentleman. A Super Stort 750 Ducati. That's a a sexy-looking bike in a sea of old-school-looking non-fared bikes here. That's a nice tie, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a photo of him wearing a Misfits t shirt. 
Awesome. Oh, look at that. Excellent. <laughs> Fantastic. Who designed that T-shirt, Nock? Uh, some guy Some guy who wants to get fucked, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to be honest with you, Nock. Much as I like the red, we've got... we got a green the, one. We've got the lime green one. I like the lime green. That's Maybe cool we too. could do a limited edition. We'll Ooh. talk less about that. We should. Else. You know, I really like lime green. Yeah. Well, there you go. And you know me, with whenever I build a custom bike, I always paint it green. Mm. Hmm. That's right. So, um... True. This is an ideal week for you to read the email you're holding, Bagel, because it is a oh. bit lengthy. Yes, it is. Spare no Are we going for the whole shebang here? Yes. This is a long-ass email, dog. Oh, my. Uh, so, and first off, is um, where where is he from? Uh, well, uh, he is from uh, somewhere in the UK. All oh, right, off you go then, Bagel. You yeah. can do it. Yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> He, uh, well, it, it, uh, hold on, though. He's not just from the UK. Um, because it's his, this is from uh, Peter Johnston. And Hello, Peter. Peter Johnston Hello, says, Peter. Hey, Miss Fitz, coming at you here after the night of a shift near Southampton, <laughs> England. The, just wait a minute. I am, however, oh, God, a Scot. Oh, that sounds more like Scottish. I am, however, a Scot. Yeah, all right. Oh. And am, as usual, proud to be so. <laughs> Cannot drink any more tea, Captain. Uh, the old amazing. secret is to remember every Scot's a Brit, but not every Brit's a Scot. <laughs> this is going to it's going to be long to get through reading that shit. I tell you what, Bagel. Just all the good parts. Just yeah, no, okay. no. Okay. Read the whole thing, but you can use your normal voice, okay. darling. <laughs> all right, uh, maybe I'll find Jeez. some 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 choice parts. But anyway, uh, so Peter writes. So before I get into my question, here's a quick background on me. I'm 29 and only just got into the world of motorcycling. Oh, it's a good time to get into. Yeah. I started off with a Honda PCX, but have sat my bike theory and have clutch transitional training coming up, followed by the full direct access course at the end of the month. All right. And uh, I says, I, I live at home with my partner who works in the Merchant Navy. She's a chief mate with Maersk onboard container ships at the age of 27, so I am immensely proud of her. Dude. I sort of play a role as a house husband, if you will, except I look after the zoo we seem to have collected in our new house. We have two short-haired rescue cats called Spot and Spike, a belligerent pedigree Korat called Indy, Hmm. An eight-month-old border collie, a bearded dragon called Frank, two chinchillas, four fish tanks, and a pond which came with the house. It's a <laughs> it's fucking pandemonium here, but I couldn't live without them when she's away. So you've and got yeah. you've got fur and scale children. So yes. what? Wh- what I'm amazed is the bloody things don't try and eat each other. I mean, perhaps <laughs> or, they do. Or, or him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So he says... Watch where you fall asleep, mate. Right. <laughs> so he continues, I love listening to your podcast at work. Each of you has your own individual character, which just adds to your show. Mm. I especially love listening to Emma and Liz thinking out loud on... And, or I guess Liza thinking out loud on how to fix different issues. The banter is top fucking notch. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Quick funny story concerning my brand spanking new PCX. I parked it outside of work at Tesco's alongside a Lexmodo. The Lexmodo cost 500 pounds brand new, apparently, and had an alarm system, which also cost 500 pounds. Some fucking chancers tried to steal the Lexmodo one night. (laughs) 
pulled some of the wires, and fucked the steering lock up. Funny thing is, firstly, the Lex motor was secured to a metal column with a heavy chain. So, fuck knows what they planned on doing after they unlocked the front. <laughs> right. <laughs> Secondly, I'm an island islander, so I'm a bit too trustworthy. As a result, my PCX was not locked up. I hadn't even engaged the steering lock on it. So they had an alarmed, fully chained and locked Lex motor that cost 500 pounds right next to a 3.1 thousand pound with add-ons PCX 125 with no locks. And they chose <laughs> to try and steal the Lex moto. Fuck knows what was going through their minds. <laughs> They're like, that PCX. Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> no, P- PCXs are cool. They are. PCX, what are these? 125? It's, it's a PCX 125. It's a Honda scooter. No, I don't think it's actually a 125 here in America land. Um, I think it's a 150. I don't That's need a cool looking I'm scoot, not man. Sure if they sell them here, do they? Yeah, they do. I think PCX 150. If they do, I think, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it is. It's is like it? a VFR okay. stretched its face. Yeah, as a friend of mine has a 125, but that might have been great. looks like a smiling cat. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, um, he says, uh, my question to you is quite simply this. Which damn bike do I pick when I pass my test? Mm. I initially had my eye on the Rebel 500, but it didn't quite feel right when I sat on it. Mm-hmm. I'm not too interested in power, so the current CBR, CB650R is not my style. I like the NC750 S and X, but I also happen to sit on a Yamaha Tripper 7 or I think Triple 700 GT, which seemed to be comfy. Obviously, I'm going to test drive them and, and add costs up to help decide. My primary goal is comfort, ability to travel long distances, but also to go off the beaten track if needed. Mm. There's so much more to motorcycling that I want to explore, and having grown up on the Isle of Aran, having a bike. That- Ooh, that's where the sweaters come from. Yes. Having a bike that can come uh, that can take some bumpy roads and travel from Southampton to to the Scot- to the Scotland roughly 500 miles. The Yamaha did explain that the the Triple 700 GT has been discontinued due to some disgruntled employee tearing up the original plans or something. Is there what? some truth to this, or is the, or is there an underlying reason? This uh, is a Yamaha what now? Uh, he says he versed the Tripper 700 GT, but I'm thinking that's a Triple 700 GT. I don't know. I don't know the bike. Hmm. Um, but uh, he continues and says I am tempted to stick to Honda it's right next to me practically and they've been good in helping with novice issues at no extra cost but I don't want to limit myself based just on this I've also been told by people not to worry about bike displacement size when beginning but I think insurance companies might have something to say with that mm-hmm. along with my ass when the shit hits the fan and I scare the living daylights out of myself on a bike not quite suited to a beginner uh, I've also got some basic mechanic courses I'm going to take to help me maintain the bikes and help keep me and my partner safe. Oh, I forgot to mention, I would be taking her with me on trips, too. Anyway, I've blabbed on quite an awful lot here, so forgive me for my insane comma splicing <laughs> if I have any, any, any typos using a touchscreen here. Peace out, Peter Johnston. What a great oh, email. Thanks, Tracer Peter. 700. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, so... That will be a good uh, one to get, actually. I've got the perfect bike for you. Yeah. Stretch booster. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I've got the perfect bike for you, Peter. CB500X. That's actually oh. what I was... Th- yeah, CB500. CB500X. Yep. It's perfect, and I'll tell you why it's perfect. Not too big, 
not too small makes great power it's roomy enough for two people it's relatively simple once you learn how to get the fucking fairing off it's got long legs too it's got long legs you can get the rally raid kit for it mm-hmm. which makes it look absolutely splendid i saw one of these in person they look cool man they look a lot cooler than they do in the pictures for some reason i mean it looks cool in the pictures but i tell you you cool. see and I'll, let me tell you something about that engine i'm going to upset listeners again now and i don't like doing it because i love all our listeners but that engine came in lots of different Hondas. Mm-hmm. And the most popular is my least favorite. And the least popular is my favorite. Hmm. The most popular is the Rebel 500, which isn't a bad bike. But my argument against Rebel 500s is my argument against a lot of these bobbers. Is that yeah. your feet are out forward and your hands yeah. are out forward. So you feel like you're being folded in half. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The least popular is the CB500X, at least in this country, and it is by far the best incarnation of that engine. They're brilliant. So, um, Peter, buy yourself a CB500X and just enjoy every minute of it because it's a very good bike. So, yeah, most importantly, I think you want something in upright because he's yeah well if you're going yeah i mean if you're going long distance especially if you're going long distance two up yeah because my argument is i can ride that rf 900 all day actually i can laser so tra la la (laughs) however if i had a passenger on the back it would be a different story because me being hunched over like quasimodo on the front not a fun time uh, it's not a fun time for the pillion yeah Mm -hmm. so if i was carrying a passenger it'd be uh bandit time for emma Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's actually another good one but the trouble is bandits are getting a bit long in the tooth now with 600s you're talking about well actually because he's in yes. England he could it's um, my brother rides a 650 yeah oh that's which, right he's yeah which is was like a one or two year only only model and he mm. absolutely bloody loves it and they're a, they're a brilliant bike yeah what about a um, GS650 well no these are all older bikes and i get the impression peter's kind of newer you know if he's riding a pcx he's into sort of newer stuff um but yeah cb500x what do you think yeah Yeah, i'm into it and and he probably doesn't want to go with anything smaller than a 500 if he's going two up or nc700x which is the one size up from that one which has got that same styling i tell you what I think the 500 is a better bike. You think so? I think it is a better bike. I mean, if she's going to ride with people on there, you see, the power would be helpful. The NC700X is an odd duck. It it's is. a good bike, mm-hmm. but it's very, very soft. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very, and it's deliberately very, very soft. It was. I mean, I, I don't know. For what Peter wants, it might be perfect. Yeah. But it was designed to kind of appeal to the scooter crowd, but be a proper motorbike. Um, it's a good-looking bike, man. Yeah, it is a nice-looking bike. It was actually designed by the same team who designed the Honda Civic. You know yeah. that? Hmm. Yep. It's, it, it took a half of a fit engine or whatever and yeah. tilted it forward. Yeah. But, um, the, no, the bike itself, it was exactly the same design team who did a Honda Civic. And Honda said, we're going to try this. We're going to put a car design team on a motorcycle and have at it. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see what a car would look like if it was designed by a motorcycle yes. design team. <laughs> but it's a nice bike. 
I think the 500 is a, is a funner bike to ride. Is, it, is that an adjective, funner? More fun? More Funster. Funster. <laughs> funnier. Funnier. Funnerist. It's the funnerist. Funnerer. No, I think um, for the extra 200, I don't think you're getting 200 cc's more performance. You're certainly getting 200 cc's more weight. And more 200 cc's worth more torque, though, which is nice, especially on, uh, you know, well, you and, got passengers or whatever. Well, the simple answer is test ride both of them. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Test ride both of them. Well, and Andy also mentioned the insurance question, too, because oh, yeah. insurance uh, is big in the UK. Okay. Well, you know, we get, we get so blasé here in, yeah. in America because it's just like, oh, you call it up. Yeah, it's Just like, don't I'm get good. insurance, man. Fuck it. Yeah, but there's like <laughs> this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just I tell you what. <laughs> Smoke crack, steal a bike, don't insure it. <laughs> don't insure it, especially don't insure it. And if you require <laughs> money, you. <laughs> take a brick, throw it through a window, exactly. and steal jewelry. Oh, and, exactly. Um, so our next show is coming the, to you from prison. <laughs> you meet the nicest people on a Honda, apparently. Well, apparently so. Um, oh, no. But no, in, in England, there's all kinds of insurance brackets. Yeah. And, um, and that's a real factor. But... I think really those two. I think you can't go around sticking with Honda. Uh, for, I think for so. what you want, if you want to get on a bike in Southampton and point it north until you get to the country where the men wear skirts <laughs> and have red beards and go ock hoots the new and, and, and things what? like that. If yeah. you don't like it, you can always sell and get something else, bro. Yeah, exactly. Um, but um, CB500X, NC700, but I think... I'm going to stick my neck out here, Peter. I think you'll enjoy the CB500 more. Test ride both of them. Yeah, for sure. Any Honda dealer worth their salt will let you loose on a test ride on both of them. And if you are having trouble getting a test ride, write in, let us know, and I will personally arrange a test ride for you with Honda UK. Hmm. You hear that shit? Wow. You hear that fucking shit? I don't think you'll have a problem getting a dealer to let let you loose on either of them. Yeah. But, right. um, yeah, CB500X, enjoy. Tra-la-la. And you know what? We've I think we've covered everything. You've wasted a perfectly good 90 minutes of your life listening to this drivel. <laughs> that was that 90 I, minutes? I thought we were going to do a one-hour show. And that, I applaud you. Yeah. you know, no, we've you know drawn we it out. It. God damn. You know how I, we do it. Yeah. I do, I, we pluck it out of thin air. Um, is <laughs> well, there anything well, else just, anybody else just, would like we to We just do? wind Emma up and say, hey, you, people are listening to you. Just go. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's no like winding up a toy, isn't it? It is. It's just like, yeah, just set Emma off on some Literal fucking old, tangent about some shitty old <laughs> bike. And I mean, it's like I help wind you up because I'm just asking all these tangent questions. Well, what color does it come in? What about the pipes, man? <laughs> <laughs> and I go into detail how many rivets there are holding the baffles in. <laughs> how many rivets are there? 23. Oh, well, shit. All right, there you go. <laughs> That's all. Per pipe. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. <laughs> I, I guess with that... Uh... No, I think that. I think that's I about think that's it until next week. Yeah. Um, you know, keep the emails coming in. We yeah. love to get our emails. And even if we don't read your, uh, don't read your email aloud, we've read it. And we, we try and get through all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, 
on a quieter day like today, we have a little more scope to read some of the longer emails, which Indeed. I always enjoy. But please keep them coming in. If you're yep. not a Patreon subscriber, consider it. You don't need a lot of bread to do it. Um, yeah. You know, a couple of bucks a month. We appreciate everything. For a dollar a month, you can feed a misfit some beer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, even Estrella Jalisco. Yeah, Estrella you like, Jalisco. Do you like the accent there? So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Jalisco star. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jalisco. Yeah. <laughs> All so, right. um, yeah, I think that's really going to be it. So, um, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Um, this is Emma Darling. Mm, bagel. Oh, hey, you can find us at motorcyclesandmisfits.com. Oh. Email us at recycledmotorcyclegarage at gmail.com. And I have been Knock. <laughs> I've been Sarah too. <laughs> no, actually, you've been Stacy. Oh, I was Stacy. Right. Yeah, all right, Stace. Stace. All right, all right, Stace. <laughs> We're out of here. Cool, cool. Ooh, ooh.